Section 22 of History of Henry IV, King of France and Navarre by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8, The League, Part 3. The battle almost immediately ensued. Like all fierce fights, it was for a time but a delirious scene of horror, confusion, and carnage. But the Protestants, with sinewy arms, hewed down their effeminate foes, and with infantry and cavalry swept to and fro resistlessly over the plain. The white plume of Henry of Navarre was ever seen waving in the tumultuous throng wherever the battle was waged the fiercest. There was a singular blending of the facetious with the horrible in this sanguinary scene. Before the battle, the Protestant preachers in earnest sermons had compared Henry with David at the head of the Lord's chosen people. In the midst of the bloody fray, when the field was covered with the dying and the dead, Henry grappled one of the standard-bearers of the enemy. At that moment, humorously reminded of the flattering comparison of the preachers, he shouted with waggery which even the excitement of the battle could not repress, Surrender, you uncircumcised Philistine! In the course of one hour, three thousand of the leaguers were weltering in blood upon the plain, Joyeuse himself their leader being among the dead. The defeat of the Catholics was so entire that not more than one-fourth of their number escaped from the field of Coutras. The victors were immediately assembled upon the bloody field, and after prayers and thanksgiving they sung with exultant lips, the lord appears my helper now nor is my faith afraid what all the sons of earth can do since heaven affords its aid henry was very magnanimous in the hour of victory when someone asked what terms he should now demand after so great a discomfiture of his foes he replied the same as before the battle in reading the records of these times one is surprised to see how mirth festivity and magnificence are blended with blood misery and despair war was desolating france with woes which to thousands of families must have made existence a curse and yet amid these scenes we catch many glimpses of merriment and gaiety at one time we see henry the third weeping and groaning upon his bed in utter wretchedness and again he appears before us revelling with his dissolute companions in the wildest carousals while henry of navarre was struggling with his foes upon the field of battle marguerite his wife was dancing and flirting with congenial paramours amid all the guilty pleasures of the court henry wrote repeatedly for her to come and join him but she vastly preferred the voluptuousness of the capital to the gloom and hardships of the protestant camp she never loved her husband and while she wished that he might triumph and thus confer upon her the illustrious rank of the queen of france she still rejoiced in his absence as it allowed her that perfect freedom which she desired when she saw indications of approaching peace she was so apprehensive that she might thus be placed under constraint by the presence of her husband that she did what she could to perpetuate civil war it will be remembered that several of the fortified cities of france were in the hands of the protestants henry of navarre held his comparatively humble court in the town of Agen, where he was very much beloved and respected by the inhabitants though far from irreproachable in his morals 
the purity of his court was infinitely superior to that of Henry III and his mother Catherine. Henry of Navarre was, however, surrounded by a body of gay and light-hearted young noblemen whose mirth-loving propensities and whose often indecorous festivities he could not control. One evening, at a general ball, these young gentlemen extinguished the lights, and in the darkness a scene of much scandal ensued. Henry was severely censured by the Protestant clergy and by many others of his friends for not holding the members of his court in more perfect control. His popularity suffered so severely from this occurrence that it even became necessary for Henry to withdraw his court from the town. Catherine and Marguerite, accompanied by a retinue of the most voluptuously beautiful girls of France, set out to visit the court of Henry of Navarre, which had been transferred to Nerouk. Henry, hearing of their approach, placed himself at the head of five hundred gentlemen, and hastened to meet his mother-in-law and his wife, with their characteristic and congenial train. These were the instrumentalities with which Catherine and Marguerite hoped to bend the will of Henry and his friends to suit their purposes. Catherine had great confidence in the potency of the influence which these pliant maidens could wield, and they were all instructed in the part which they were to act. She was accustomed to call these allies her flying squadron. There then ensued a long series of negotiations, mingled with mirth, gallantry, and intrigue but the result of which was a treaty highly conducive to the interests of the Protestants. Various places were designated where their religion should be freely tolerated, and in which they were to be allowed to build conventicles. They were also permitted to raise money for the support of their ministers, and fourteen cities were surrendered to their government. Several incidents occurred during these negotiations very characteristic of the corrupt manners of the times. Marguerite, devoted herself most energetically to the promotion of the success of Henry's plans. Catherine found herself notwithstanding all her artifice and all the peculiar seductions of her female associates completely foiled by the sagacity and firmness of Henry. She had brought with her Monsieur de Pibrac, a man very celebrated for his glowing eloquence and for his powers of persuasion. The oratory of Pibrac, combined with the blandishments of the ladies, were those cooperative influences which the queen imagined none would be able to resist marguerite however instructed in the school of catherine succeeded in obtaining entire control over the mind of pibrac herself and he became a perfect tool in her hands catherine thus foiled was compelled to grant far more favourable terms to the protestants than she had contemplated La Riole, was one of the towns of security surrendered to the protestants there was however so little of good faith in that day that notwithstanding the pledge of honour possession of the place could only be retained by vigilance the government of the town had been conferred upon a veteran protestant general by the name of usak his days from early youth had been passed on fields of battle he was now far advanced in years in feeble health and dreadfully disfigured by wounds received in the face. One of the most fascinating ladies of the Queen Mother lavished such endearments upon the old man, already in his dotage, that he lost his principles and all self-control, and made himself very ridiculous by assuming the airs of a young lover. Henry had the imprudence to join in the mockery with which the court regarded his tenderness. 
this was an indignity which an old man could never forget instigated by his beautiful seducer he became entirely unmindful of those principles of honour which had embellished his life and in revenge invited a roman catholic general to come and take possession of the town henry was informed of this act of treachery while dancing at a very brilliant entertainment given in his palace he quietly whispered to turenne and sully and a few others of his most intimate friends requesting them to escape from the room gather around him such armed men as they could and join him at a rendezvous in the country they all stole unperceived from the mirthful party concealed their swords beneath their cloaks travelled all night and arrived just as the day began to dawn before the gates of the city they found the place as they had expected entirely unprepared for such a sudden attack and rushing in regained it without difficulty the catholic soldiers retreated to the castle where they held out a few days and many of them perished in the assault by which it was soon taken such was the character of the nominal peace which now existed a partisan warfare was still continued throughout france catherine and her maids did everything in their power to excite dissensions between the protestant leaders in this they succeeded so well that the prince of conde became so exasperated against turenne as to challenge him to single combat such a peace as we have above described could not of course be lasting both parties were soon again gathering all their forces for war there is a tedious monotony in the recitals of the horrors of battle cities bombarded and sacked and burned shells exploding in the cradle of infancy and in the chambers of mothers and maidens mutilated bodies trampled beneath the hoofs of horses the cry of the maddened onset the shrieks of the wounded and the groans of the dying the despair of the widow and the orphan smouldering ruins of once happy homes the fruits of the husbandman's toils trodden into the mire starvation misery and death these are ever the fruits of war during the short interval of peace many attempts had been made to assassinate henry of navarre by the partisans of the duke of guise henry was one fine morning setting out with a few friends for a ride of pleasure just as the party was leaving the courtyard he was informed that an assassin very powerfully mounted was prepared to meet him on the way and to take his life henry apparently paid no heed to the warning but rode along conversing gaily with his friends they soon met in a retired part of the way a stranger armed according to the custom of the times and mounted upon a very magnificent steed which had been prepared for him to facilitate his escape after the accomplishment of the fell deed henry immediately rode up to the assassin addressed him in terms of great familiarity and cordiality and professing to admire the beautiful charger upon which he was mounted requested him to dismount that he might try the splendid animal the man bewildered obeyed the wishes of the king when henry leaped into the saddle and seizing the two loaded pistols at the saddle-bow looked the man sternly in the eye and said i am told that you seek to kill me you are now in my power and i could easily put you to death but i will not harm you he then discharged the two pistols in the air and permitted the humiliated man to mount his horse and ride away unharmed End of section twenty two